Welcome to Insights, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Insights is an audio podcast that provides perspective on the opportunities and uncertainties facing investors today. Today's episode is The Impact of Global Aging and is for institutional and professional investors. I'm Nika Mosenthal with our Multi-Asset Solutions Group. With me today is Ben Mandel and Diego Gilsans. Both are global strategists in our multi-asset solutions team within J.P. Morgan Asset Management. We'll be discussing the paper this group has authored, The Impact of Global Aging. The piece examines how demographic change might affect savings, economic growth, and interest rates. It's not just an academic subject. Deeply enmeshed in our capital market assumptions is the idea that demographic change influences long-term asset returns. Welcome to Insights. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Our long-term capital market assumptions over the last several years have seen return assumptions go lower and lower. So what did demographics do to that return challenge? Demographics have contributed to a great extent to that returns challenge. When we think about today's expected return over the next 10 to 15 years of a 60-40 global portfolio, that number is five and a quarter percent. Ten years ago, it was much closer to seven. And so we've taken a big two percentage point step down in terms of what we're expecting. And a lot of that can be explained by demographic growth being slower than it used to be. How do demographics actually impact trend growth and then rates? So a simple rule of thumb that we generally abide by in the LCMAs is that the long-term interest rate, the equilibrium interest rate, falls out kind of directly from our view on trend growth in the global economy. So that's a rule of thumb that actually is borne out by a pretty famous growth model called the solid growth model. Um, but it very much is a rule of thumb. It has several uh, exceptions. That said, it's a driving force behind our framework. And if you look at what are the inputs into how we view growth in the long term, we generally break that out into how the labor force is growing, the amount of capital in the economy or the amount of machines or infrastructure, and the productivity of those two sources of growth. So labor force is kind of the cleanest thing to measure. And so of the three inputs, that's the place where we can have a fairly clean view in terms of where that impetus, how our demographics are influencing our outlook for growth. Yeah, so you have basically two steps. You have demographics affect your view of trend growth. Trend growth, through that rule of thumb you were talking about, affects your interest rate assumption. So I think the demographic aspect of that is fairly well characterized. Demographics have been slowing as a driver of labor force growth, as you mentioned, and that flows right through one for one into interest rates. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and that is how we've looked at it for our long-term capital market assumptions in the past. But this paper is all about savings. So uh, how yes. does demographics play into <laughs> savings and what we think might happen to interest rates? It is a paper about savings, and savings is an additional layer above and beyond how growth might affect interest rates. I think the idea was best popularized in the 2000s by Ben Bernanke, who characterized it as a savings glut. So he was trying to explain why interest rates at that time were so low relative to what economic conditions would suggest, and he attributed it to a global glut of savings. This was East Asian countries saving more than they used to post-90s crisis. It was China, for a variety of reasons, saving more. And what that did was flood the global economy with savings, and the only way that could be absorbed into investment demand was at lower interest rates. And so now in this paper, we're asking, could that mechanism actually work in the opposite direction? Could we be at a point where demographics could push savings in the other direction and potentially provide some upward impetus to interest rates? 
Can you explain a little more the demographic shift and how that directly correlates to how we'll see savings decline? It's a matter of life cycle savings, I think, where households tend to save during their working years and draw down those savings in retirement. And so as you enter retirement, your savings rate is going to go down to some degree, and it might actually turn negative if you're drawing down your nest egg. So what we're doing is taking that basic principle and multiplying it by all the millions of households across developed markets, but also in China, which is a big swing factor, and adding all that up into a global shift in the supply of savings. Yeah, so globally, all of these populations are aging in a synchronized way. What do we actually think the impact will be on interest rates? We look at four countries in particular. We look at Germany, Japan, the U.S., and China. Those are four major economies in the global market. The three developed economies have a lot of access. Our investors have a lot of access to the three major economies in China, only increasingly so. So if we focus on those four, and just looking at the UN population statistics of where they see the ages that are typically in the labor force going, we see the number of retirees per worker, or what's commonly known as the dependency ratio, has the potential to increase by 10 percentage points each decade. That, according to our analysis, poses upside risk to interest rates by an order of 25 to 50 basis points. To contextualize that number, If you looked at simply the growth avenue or the path of which demographics affects growth, you see the labor force slowing by 50 basis points, which would follow through to a one-to-one decline in 50 basis points on interest rates. In other words, we're seeing this savings mechanism as a potential offset to the downward impetus that demographics have on through the traditional growth angle. So looking at these four countries, we looked in aggregate what the decline in the percentage point of GDP of savings would be. If we look at these countries on a country-by-country basis, do we see a difference in what their current savings rates are and what the decline in those countries' savings rates will be? The four countries themselves actually have all pretty different savings profiles. Japan, as we've mentioned, is on the forefront, or Japan's on the forefront of the demographic change, so they've already seen their savings rate come down quite substantially. U.S. savings rates have always remained relatively low compared to the other countries. And then China's the notable outlier on the upside. And since they have had historically very, very high savings rates, since that's been a source of a lot of academic literature and many positive reasons for that. But I think it's important to note that the interesting angle thing here is to look at them in aggregate. Interest rates are globally determined. Alone, none of these economies can single-handedly have a demonstrable effect on interest rates Well, at least not as powerful as they do when they're all going in the same direction as we think they are in the next couple decades. Yeah, so these four countries we looked at were useful to look at, as you said, because they are on the forefront of this demographic shift. I think Japan is especially interesting because they've already gone through this shift in some ways. Since the 1990s, their dependency ratio has tripled. So can we learn anything about Japan's experience and the relationship between demographic shift and savings rate? Yeah, Japan is out on the frontier. They went through in the beginning of the 90s what European countries started going through a decade later, what the United States is going through more or less now, and what China is going to undergo in the next decade. And what we learned from Japan is that, in fact, this mechanism that we're thinking about linking demographics to savings rates has a kernel of truth to it. Because as the Japanese demographics shifted, 
there was an aggregate decline in Japanese savings rates. Obviously, a lot of other things going on at the time as well. But according to our calculations, we can account for about a third of the decline in aggregate Japanese savings by the fact that Japanese households are getting older and drawing down that nest egg. Yeah, so we did see in Japan the link between aging populations, decline in savings. What we didn't see is upward pressure on interest rates. Can you talk to why that didn't happen and why we think it might happen now? Yeah, fair point. Here, the synchronization is key. When one country's savings shifts, it's not sufficient to move aggregate interest rates, which we think of being determined in a global market. And so it really takes a, a synchronized and broad shift in savings to affect that global supply of savings and, and hence interest rates. So Japan alone was not enough to do it. We think that we're getting to a point where the synchronization of these major economies in terms of their demographic transition might actually be sufficient to push interest rates up. This is the first time we're really seeing so many populations age in a synchronized way. But is there any reason it still might not happen? So is savings shift inward from all these countries? Is there a reason savings curves might shift out or investment demand might shift in or out? And how would that affect our view on rates? I think there are a couple notable upside and downside risks from our projections that we started to think about as we went through the work. If I were to focus on some of the downside projections to the, the interest rate profile, you could look at China in particular. So China stands out amongst the four countries that we looked at in that it has a massive savings rate, especially in particular relative to the more developed countries. Japan is on the opposite extreme. We're looking at a savings rate of around 30 some odd percent in China and then firmly in single digits in Japan. So now the risk is, is as China continues to grow faster than the other developed economies, it comprises a larger and larger portion of the global economy, and thus the global savings pool. So although China itself is seeing its own savings rate come down, the fact that it's starting from such an elevated level and growing in prominence, you could see that it has actually a net upward effect on the global savings rate and thus would actually be a further downward push on global interest rates. So the total supply of savings from China might actually be a positive contribution to total savings, even if their rate is going down? That's the idea, yeah. And then you also alluded to the fact that our paper focuses on the supply channel of savings. So, you know, the interest rates are determined by the demand and supply of savings. We think demographics predominantly plays a role through the, the savings channel, but there's an open question mark in terms of demand. So if you can come up with a scenario where interest rates would be dampened if companies start to acknowledge the slower growth or start to anticipate slower growth due to the labor force slowing globally and thus reduce their investment schedule because they anticipate slower growth in the future. So that would be a scenario in which you saw demand respond in a negative fashion to the prevailing supply conditions. And there you could see that pose as a downside risk as well. I think Diego's glass is half empty here. I think you can also think about it in terms of what are the upside risks to interest rates coming from demographics. One is that you have governments and other sources of private savings on behalf of households. So thinking about pensions and other savings mechanisms, those will also be drawn down as those households age and start to use those savings for consumption. So that would actually exacerbate the effect that we're highlighting in the paper. Another thinking about the investment side is that labor-saving technologies might actually come into more prominence as labor supply declines because of aging. And so to the extent that there's more investment in the world because people are investing in those technologies, 
that would actually shift out the demand for investment and put additional upward pressure on rates. Yeah, interesting. So ultimately, we have demographics pushing interest rates in two different directions through two different mechanisms. On the one hand, we have interest rates going lower through lower trend growth by an aging population. On the other hand, we have interest rates potentially going higher by this decline in savings. So which is it? What's going to win out? What do we think is going to happen over the long run? Well, what we're identifying here is a set of countervailing forces. In expectation, we think they might be around the same size in the coming decades, We've also identified risks to the downside and the upside to that view, which are roughly in balance. And so overall, I think you get a somewhat neutral forecast for the effect of demographics on rates. But the key is that that neutral assessment is much more sanguine in reality than the prevailing wisdom on demographics, which is that it's going to be a perpetual drag on growth and rates. So I think we come up with an overall more optimistic story here. If not just by the sheer acknowledgement that there is a non-trivial angle through which to understand demographics as an upside risk. That's the idea through which we're hoping to shine a light on in the paper. Great. Interesting food for thought there. And the U.S. specifically, their savings rate being so low, why is that? There's a lot of institutional infrastructure around saving for households in the U.S., whether it's defined benefit or defined contribution plans, or whether it's a broader social safety net. Those are all things that might cause the U.S. savings rate to be a little bit lower very persistently. The other interesting fact about the U.S. relative to the others is that the baby boomer generation in the United States is pretty exceptional. It's exceptional insofar as it has a financial footprint that's way bigger than previous generations. It's way bigger than similar generations in other countries. And it'll actually probably be even bigger than the subsequent generation, Generation X, And so when we think about this demographic transition and the baby boomers entering retirement en masse, you know, that exceptionalism is something we have to keep in mind. How do baby boomers spend down that massive balance sheet of theirs in retirement? How do they transfer those assets to the next generations? What are the precautionary savings for things like medical expenses and other things that they'd expect to take on in retirement? So I think this question of the baby boomer exceptionalism is one that might even suggest that savings rates go down further, right? If you have this big, comfortable nest egg in the form of a robust balance sheet, maybe you're actually spending more in retirement and drawing down more aggressively. I think that brings up a question mark in terms of what are the reactions? I mean, we've focused on predominantly on the households. So I think Ben mentioned a couple of reasons why the U.S. household saves so low, and it's a dependence on other parts of the economy, like the government with an established social security system, And companies as well play a role. So I think it's important to also keep in mind that we have, A, focused on supply of savings and not the demand, and B, focused on one of the three major suppliers of savings in an economy, and that's the household. So the corporate and the government backdrop also matter and remain risks on the margin to our analyses. So Diego, you mentioned that capital is free to cross borders and therefore interest rates are determined globally. So we looked at four countries. If we were to expand that analysis beyond those four, which do make up over 50% of global GDP, to other emerging market countries, do you expect that we'd come to a different conclusion? Not substantially. I think, as you mentioned, we selected those countries exactly because they're at the forefront of demographic transition. They're the biggest economies and most relevant insofar as that shift in global savings. If we look at other emerging markets, you actually have a much better demographic picture that's being painted. 
insofar as the drawdown of their labor force coming from people aging is much less pronounced and much earlier in that demographic cycle. And so China's the exception that proves the rule because China looks much more like a developed market economy in terms of its demographics. But, you know, if you look at other emerging markets, their situation is a bit rosier. Practically speaking, we've had all of these people go through the workforce. Now they're coming to retirement, aging, spending down their savings. What does this mean for CIOs and plan sponsors who are managing the plans that are supporting these people in this phase of their lives? I think there's a very deep implication of this research for the financial community. Up until this point, there's been a tremendous emphasis on, you know, how do we get a sufficient return to build up enough savings, whether that's in the context of a defined contribution or defined benefit plan, to finance a sufficient degree of retirement consumption. And I think that's all well and good. I think the debate is actually shifting now from accumulation to drawdown. And so I think the financial community is going to be equally involved in that process and will be part and parcel of how savings evolve in the coming decades. Thank you for joining us on Insights. Thanks for having us, Nico. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us today on J.P. Morgan Insights. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes on iTunes and on our website. Recorded on February 1st, 2018. For the purposes of Markets and Financial Instruments Directive 2, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any Markets and Financial Instruments Directive 2 and regulation requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs as non-independent research have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research, nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. The views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any investment in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions, and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. It should be noted that investment involves risks, the value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yield are not a reliable indicator of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. 
This communication is issued by the following entities. In the United Kingdom, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management UK Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. In other European jurisdictions, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe, SARL. In Hong Kong, by JF Asset Management Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds Asia Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Asia Limited. In Singapore, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Singapore Limited, co-reg number 197601586K, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Singapore Private Limited, co-reg number 201120355E. In Taiwan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Taiwan Limited. In Japan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Japan Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association, Type II Financial Instruments Firms Association, and the Japan Securities Dealers Association, and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency, registration number Kanto Local Finance Bureau, financial instruments firm, number 330. In Korea, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Korea Company Limited. In Australia, to wholesale clients only, as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, CTH, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Australia Limited, ABN 551-438-32080, AFSL 376919. In Brazil, by Banco J.P. Morgan S.A., in Canada, for institutional clients' use only, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Canada, Incorporated, And in the United States, by J.P. Morgan Distribution Services, Incorporated, And J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments, Incorporated, Both members of FINRA, SIPC. And J.P. Morgan Investment Management, Incorporated. In APAC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, and Singapore. For all other countries in APAC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2018, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved.